part two. Well, let's get into my second movie of this here Stephen King phantasmagorium we got going on over here. I'm going to go into uh, 1989's Pet Cemetery. This is a book that I have not read, um, but I have seen this movie uh, many a time, not as many times as The Mist. Um, but this is a movie that I saw probably for the first time also like on cable <laughs> or something like that. Um, you know, in, in the, I think this is a TNT one in it <laughs> probably like in the mid nineties, you know, yeah. it's probably the first time mid late nineties. Um, so this is definitely a, this is a weird movie. I'll say right at the top of the, right at the top of the show. This one is like one of these ones that wouldn't get made in this fashion today. Mm-mm. Um, it is, I would say, as far as I can tell, without, like I said, having read the book, quite faithful, um, to, to, to the book. Um, but also, and, 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 you know, a s- significant budget, but also made in this kind of like very dreamlike, very true to the, um, the kind of, uh, I, I hesitate to say the word vibe, but like it has the uh, it has a similar vibe that you would expect from a King adaptation like this movie more than any other one. For whatever reason, I feel like really captures the feeling of this of like a, a King story or a lot of different King stories, which is like they have this very rooted, like true to life um like authenticity or almost like meanness yeah um and unpredictability like stephen king is never scared to go to to take things to extremes right so it's got this meanness it's got this unpredictability but it's still got this odd sense of like dreamy melancholy um and it also that he you know, and, and having, you know, visited Maine and Bangor and like literally some of the physical um, places where these movies were shot. And and like I've stood in some of the places where this this um, some some scenes in this movie have were shot um, a very distinct sense of place, um, which is to say Maine and in most cases, particularly Bangor, Maine. Um, and all this stuff is so unique to King's work. And I feel like this movie more than any other movie I've seen really nails that. So that's why I love this movie so much. Um, it, in my opinion, it might be one of the most faithful, even though I haven't read the book, one of the most faithful King adaptations in the sense that it really nails the, the vibe of, of, of King's stories in, in that sense of, like I said, that sense of place and that, that just feeling of like, I w- will not hesitate to fuck you up but it also feels like this weird melancholy dream. So. Yeah. Yeah. It also has like these ideas, like you can see that there's like deeper characterization. It, it, It doesn't necessarily come out on screen all the time, but you can tell that there's the deeper characterization for the characters. If you read the book. Like, if you get into the book, you know, there's a lot more to these characters than there are like specifically the, the relationship between the father-in-law and Lewis, 
Yeah. You know, there's probably actually like 25 there's pages probably, on why they why they hate each other. Right. There's a chapter in it, probably, which it, which it just doesn't hit here. So not unlike the last two stories we talked about, the mist less because it is is a novella, but like the fact that there are things that just couldn't be fleshed out in the movie that you just have to assume are fleshed out a little deeper in 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 the story or in the in the novel. Um, anyway, so. I always love the intro with this, not not only the music and the scenes in the cemetery, it's just very kind of like this. I mean, he just nails like the New England Gothic type of thing, which, you know, speaking of of Lovecraft, like, you know, obviously 100 years before King, but like not quite 100 years, 60 to 80 years Um, like. That is. That sense of place. Um, and that kind of thing that has kind of become this New England gothic kind of feel just like really, uh, I don't know, really hits home for me in that opening scene. You get Chekhov's truck driving by pretty early on. <laughs> like, there's a lot of a lot of a lot of ideas about this, this idea of this road being very dangerous, which is kind of in- interesting because it's not really the road that's dangerous. It's the it's the, the you know degenerate truck drivers that right. <laughs> drive the road more than the actual road <laughs> themselves. But for yeah. the most part, they're, they're like kind of nameless and faceless most of the time. Yeah. And, and that's, they're mostly, and I think it's more in the book, but it's mostly about like the symbolism of the encroachment of American, just like American culture in general, yeah. because it's Americans who ran this road through this native, in, uh, uh, native American territory. It's mm-hmm. the Americans who are, ripping the oil out of the ground and barreling it down this road like and it, and the road is killing pets and people and just like everything in its path it just destroys it doesn't matter everyone is going to fall victim to progress at at some point right um so you have Rachel and Lewis uh this this young married couple and they show up at their new house with their kids Ellie their young daughter who I'm going to say is six and gauge who's like kind of a toddler and then they have their cat winston churchill which they call uh church fred gwynn um he lives across the road um and pretty early on i mean not not pretty early on quite early on he saves gauge the toddler from getting just mushed on the road uh and you'd think that that would have been like a pretty scary good lesson for them to learn but not nah, <laughs> I, I couldn't help but think you know you walk you drive by like saying it's like uh signs say like slow down you know my daddy works here or like slow you know slow down children at play or whatever mm-hmm. there should have been a sign here that says like slow down i don't watch my kids <laughs> right like, i just let parent. them wander into the street slow down i'm a bad parent yeah. um <laughs> but it's just also the child yearns for the road you can't help it he yearns <laughs> for the road <laughs> he does he's desperate to get mushed he just he yeah. wants he wants rubber to just be running over his body at, at, at any yeah. one given time i mean it is it is actually I don't know how much it gets alluded to throughout the film, but it is in kind of like in the background and sesh dressing that he does love trucks. Like there's, he has a bunch of trucks in his room and shit. So he loves trucks and he wants to be close to the trucks. He yearns for the trucks, but the trucks, he doesn't understand. They don't know him. (laughs) Yeah. The trucks don't, have the same type of interest in him as he has in, in the trucks, right? Um, the trucks are thirsty for his little baby blood. 
Um, and Judd, Judd saves him from it early on, but, but Judd's not always there. Um, Judd is such an uh, iconic horror character, maybe the most recognizable, not only the most recognizable character, uh, aside from, from, from the shining, um, in, you know, Stephen King film adaptation, but I would, I would argue perhaps the most iconic mainer in pop culture. Yeah, it's got to be um, the most iconic Mainer. <laughs> yeah, and and the voice, you know, and the accent, which we'll get into, is just is just so memorable. So we we should say right. There's a there's a couple different uh, folks. So, so like Dale Midkiff uh, plays Lewis. The Creed family is their, their last name. Um, but like I, I I'll be honest with you, I couldn't think of anything else he was in. Um, he's in it for good reason. <laughs> yeah, he he's not great. He's not great. He's the weakest part of this movie. Although it kind of works because of this like dreamy melancholy, almost like melodrama type of yeah. thing that you see you see in in some King adaptations, and it, yeah. and it works in this. So like his lackluster performance doesn't stand out as much as it probably should. Um, but but he's genuinely not great um but but it works because he comes across as just this like clueless um academic yeah uh, that like just doesn't understand the real world and doesn't understand the 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 harshness and the the reality that lurks like right below the surface you know what i mean like he's been just shrouded in ignorance his whole life and is now being exposed to the 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 not even evil as much as like the um indifference (laughs) of the earth yeah you know the indifference the like the seriousness of it because like like the one thing that stands out he he does two he does two things that are very weird as an actor i mean just for the tone of this film one yeah. and this kind of helps to that dreamlike uh thing you're saying is that mm-hmm. a lot of the times he's just staring off into space mm-hmm. like he's just like and that kind of feels kind of dreamlike because like he's not necessarily participating in the world around him the other one though is that he is cartoonishly buffoonish with the pratfalls he takes like yeah. and he takes at least four pratfalls through the film that are just like they're they're tension breaking, but also it's just like maybe we shouldn't break the tension at this point with a goof em up fall. It's, yeah. just, it's just the the one I think the one that sticks out to me, I believe it's it's right after Rachel's killed and he wakes up in bed and the way he falls out of bed, he like he tumbles out of bed, but he also hits his head on the nightstand as he comes out of bed. It's just like, what the hell, Charlie Chaplin, like goof ass Buster Keaton shit are you doing? Your wife yeah. is dead, you fool. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, I mean, we won't go through a whole bunch of the cast because there's, a lot of them are, are pretty um, they, they do a fine job, but they're not like uh, they don't play huge characters or, you know, this is a pretty small core cast although do other people do pop up you know it's the immediate family like i said the four plus the cat and then and then uh uh, judd crandall which is uh which is fred gwynn who uh, obviously uh 
for those of you who are not familiar with Fred Gwynn, extremely recognizable. Actually, most people might might <laughs> recognize him for for this. Um, uh, but he's Herman Munster in the original yeah. run of, of the Munsters. Like that's what most people would, would probably remember him from. He's also the judge in My Cousin Vinny, which I always forget, right. <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is fucking great. Yeah. Um, so they move into the house. Like I said, Judd, Judd saves the kid. Um, there's a creepy path that leads from the house. And they ask about it and Judd's just kind of like, oh, don't worry about that path, you know. Um, and um, you get introduced to Missy, the housekeeper, and she weird. She weird as fuck. She's, she's <laughs> you know, that's intense, you know, uh, like kind of standoffish, Mainer accent, the whole thing. Um, Lewis is a doctor. And she, he teaches at like the local college, but he's he's a medical doctor. But he's I would assume at like a teaching hospital or a teaching you know mm-hmm. a college setting kind of thing. Um, Season Rachel's eight of Scrubs. Is, yeah, sure, sure, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Rachel is Rachel is his wife. Rachel is a little much, I will say. Um, she is kind of childish i would say like childlike in her behavior um mm-hmm. they really both are like they both feel like children raising children in in a lot of ways um ellie is is the daughter uh like i said she's maybe five or six she knows ellie has like the sixth sense and and literally later on you'll learn that she does but she knows that god is an asshole like that's the thing you know about <laughs> like she gets it right intuitively as a child she knows that god is an asshole um she's she is very connected to the to the cat church and dad makes this promise that church will be okay church is going in to get neutered and 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 and, and judd right off the bat judd is like um like they become pretty connected right off the bat he is their almost shaman in a way or or they're like they're they're he shows them kind of this way to live in in this environment in this kind of like rural environment so they really lean on him for a lot of things and and he's like hey you know the cat won't stray as much if you if you get the cat neutered so they're like okay we're gonna do that um um, so the kids bring, um, uh, oh, oh, so this is, this is at the school. Lewis is at, at, at the school and a bunch of the students bring in a kid who has been hit by a truck. People get hit. Animals get hit. It's like a daily basis, yeah. you know, yeah. and they don't put up any signs. There's not a stop sign, not a stoplight, nothing. This, this road is like a death trap. Right. And there's a, a, a college age student who gets hit by a truck. And they bring him in and Lewis is, you know, the the kind of doctor on staff. I mean, his brains are on the outside. Things aren't looking good. Um, and everyone thinks he's dead. And, he, and, you know, Lewis is like, ah, fuck, you know, we lost him kind of thing. And then he comes back and he starts to say some cryptic shit to Lewis about the soil and 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 all the stuff like coming back to Lewis. And then he dies. And then the the kid who we come to learn um, his name is, is Pascal, 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 Pascal. Yeah. Um, comes back to Lewis in his dream and, 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 and takes him to the pet cemetery in his dream. Like, uh, you know, eventually, um, Judd takes them there, shows them and has this like really borderline inappropriate interaction with the kids. Like if somebody 
had this type of like interaction with my children explaining death to them, I'd be like, we just met my dude. Like you're really overstepping some bounds here. But like, again, this is where like Lewis and Rachel really feel like just kids raising kids kind of thing. Yeah. In a way, Judd is right because he's just trying to get them exposed to the indifference of the world as quick as possible. Right. Because otherwise they're going to be in trouble. But on the other hand, the parents would absolutely be right to just like, hey, dude, like, that's not where we're teaching our kids. Like, back off. Yeah. What are you doing? But they don't yeah, because I, they don't have they, they're, they're not grounded that way. No, they don't have really a lot of agency as parents. And like, listen, as parents of young kids, like I've had this conversation with like family members where like I have family members that are telling my kids like when you die you become an angel and and I'm like don't say that to my kids like don't say made up (laughs) shit to my kids and also don't tell my kids there's hell hell doesn't exist don't fucking tell them that you know (laughs) Um, so like I get that but like Lewis and so Rachel specifically has like some real issues around death like she Mm -hmm. is not as an adult come to terms with like the reality of what death is and all that stuff we come to realize later why that's the case and lewis is just like a dud like he just doesn't he here's why i think lewis's character despite his indifference and just like seemingly empty brain at some point that i i actually think it makes sense in a lot of ways is because he's a doctor mm-hmm. and i have friends who are doctors or, or were medical students that some of them became doctors, some of them didn't to be a successful doctor, especially certain types of doctors, like one particular friend of mine who became a surgeon, he's a sociopath. Like I just know that he is, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because the fact that he's able to just on a daily basis, cut people open and remove organs and then go home and watch football and have some beer. Like you know what I mean? You're yeah. You kind of have to have a disconnect, right? Yeah, yeah there's like, a there's a strong disconnect that like people can't people normal people can't associate with. Like with the yeah. same way, like a lot of the times soldiers will be like, "Oh, you'll never know what it's like." And it's like, fair enough, yeah. But like yeah. surgeons are the same way because they experience the same thing over and over of doing something that seems insanely barbaric to us. Mm-hmm. But it just becomes second nature to them. I think that I think it's also morgue workers that are get like fucking weird like that. Probably morticians too, to a certain extent. I mean, that's a corpse. So for some reason, that's like less offensive to me. And maybe that's because I'm a little bit of a sociopath. I don't know. But like, so <laughs> I just know, like in this instance, in the scene that really hammered this home to me is when Lewis sees the kid with his brains out. Like if I go to work one day now, I, I, I work in marketing, so this is not for relevant. <laughs> right. Yeah. But like if I went to work one day and like uh, I ended up seeing somebody's brains, I'm not going to sleep real good that night. No. You know, nah, bug but you. like Lewis, <laughs> bug, you'll be a real bugaboo. But yeah. like Lewis comes home, sleeps like a fucking baby, falls asleep yeah. on his back like a psycho. Who sleeps on their back, first of all, psycho. <laughs> um, but anyway, um. So, uh, uh, but, but, uh, you know, Judd is is like, starts to suggest that there's another place beyond he's talking about like where he's talking to Lewis at this point, but there's a place beyond the pet cemetery where the ground sours. Right. And he tells him like, don't go there. Uh, and, and, and the ghost of the kid who, who dies with his brains out, Pascal is like, 
even if you think you got to go there, don't go there. Well, at this, this point, it's very cryptic. We don't know why he would say that. But then he wakes up in the morning and his feet are all muddy. And you're like, oh, OK, he, he was actually there in some capacity, right? right? Um, forward to Halloween and Lewis won't go to Rachel's family. Uh, we, we, we go to like Halloween, whatever, we're going a little bit beyond that actually at this point. So I'll, I'll skip ahead just for the sake, like this movie, I could probably talk about this movie for two hours. I can't do that. Um, so we're going <laughs> to, so we're going to skip ahead to Thanksgiving and he won't go to Rachel's families, um, because, something is going on between Rachel's family and him. You mentioned it like we don't really get it super properly explained, but suffice to say Rachel's family, you get the idea Rachel comes from a, a well-off family and, and she does like you, you, you figure that out. They live mm-hmm. in like a fucking mansion. Um, and Lewis is like not good enough for them or whatever, but like he doesn't feel like he's part of the family and Rachel's dad specifically does not into him. Um, so they go for Thanksgiving. Lewis stays back at the house. Church gets hit on the road. Judd calls him up and says, Hey bud, you got to come over here. The, the cat's dead. They come over. They find that that's the case. Um, and then they take him out to the pet cemetery and they're like, they're really bummed because Ellie is very attached to this cat. And, Judd's like, all right, well, let's let's take him out. Let's let's you know, let's go bury him at the at the pet cemetery. So they go down there and they have this this area that's beyond the pet cemetery that is like this big, giant, like tangle of branches. Um, and they hike over this. The, you know, it's almost like this um, this portal, if you will. Where it's like you don't know it at the time, but you, you got to like don't look down, keep marching forward. It's almost like uh, you know when you get onto you know I'm reading Harry Potter with my kids, and it's like whatever platform nine and three quarters or whatever it is in Harry Potter. It's you just got to have faith. You got to go right through it, and then you'll go to the other side. Well, this is kind of like that. They go to the other side, and uh, and Judd just keeps going like won't be longer now, won't be much longer now, you know. <laughs> Not too like, much father now. <laughs> yeah, it won't be too much farther now. And they just keep just climbing over fucking all this stuff. They finally get him to this Indian burial ground, which is he's very cryptic about why. And this is the dream like thing that if they didn't nail this, this wouldn't work at all. But they really do because you're like, you got Judd. He's a weird old fucker. He's Herman Munster. <laughs> he looks like Herman Munster. You know what I mean? Like to the viewer. So yeah. you're like, who's this creepy old guy? You got this whole, you got this main accent. You know, he's like talking like this, talking like no one else, in, you know, in the family. He takes him out there and Lewis is just following him like a puppy. And you're like, why is Lewis doing this? Why is, why is Judd doing this? But it's just this very dreamlike sequence, almost like this weird um, like quest, you know, kind of like fantasy quest that they're on. Eventually, uh, Judd repeats the thing that Pascal said in the, the dream, which is something about, uh, you know, after they, they suffice to say they bury the cat at the, the burial ground. Then they go back. And he's like, you know, what the fuck was that all about? Like they kind of come back to the house and now they're like almost coming to their senses. Like they were almost under, I want to say under some sort of spell, but it was this very dreamlike sequence. And then they get back and Lewis is like, what did we just do? And that's when Judd says this 
this ter- that you know the sentence that is what Pascal said to him earlier, which is this uh, thing about like a soil of a man's heart is stonier or whatever, is basically saying like men do dumb things. We don't know why, you know, we're su- <laughs> like almost like we're susceptible to this like evil lurching, like leeching into us or something. Um, so church comes back, is raised from the dead and church delivers the most devastating, <laughs> the most devastating cat jump scare in the history <laughs> of cinema. Like going back to uninvited, we know cats love to jump scare people. Oh yeah. But, but this is the most devastating jump scare ever. Literally sends him flying scratches his face uh later on when he tries to give it food like church is just is is just bringing it here church is Um, a real asshole i mean not that church wasn't already jump scaring before he was dead but now he's jump scaring as he's dead and he's scratching and he's dropping dead mice in the bathtub it's Mm -hmm. just just a real asshole of a cat yeah, he but, sends he throws a rat in the bathtub with him and yeah. like Lewis, like I get it, that's gross, but like he has a pretty cartoonish response. Yeah. I I have to say, whatever it is, I don't know like I don't know if it's uh, Mary Lambert or whatever it is, but she captured like one of the best animal performances and one of the best baby performances in film. It just for this, you know, goofy kind of uh, uh horror movie. She gets like these incredible performances out of the cat and out of uh, Miko Hughes, who plays Gage. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how did you do that? But then not like she went on to direct fucking Mega Conda versus Gatoroid. Yeah. Like, how does <laughs> how, how do you do this to end up there? That doesn't make sense to me. She's also like, yeah, she directed a whole bunch of like Madonna's music videos. Like that's really? kind of like yeah that that's kind of where she got her start. She was a music video director. She did like Madonna and Janet Jackson and a whole bunch of other stuff, and yeah. like Chris Isaac. For, yeah. <laughs> so like, oh god, Chris Isaac. Did he do that? Uh, uh, oh, what was that fucking Chris Isaac one in the desert? That fucking music video. I oh, think god, she I'm did. Gonna... I think she did. Anyway, um, Judd explains how he learned about. The, the pet cemetery when he was a kid and his dog and all this stuff. Um, his dog came back to life and he wasn't right. And shit's not right. Um, when, when somebody goes into the pet cemetery, like I said, church, you know, we talked about church pranks, Lewis with this frat in the, in the tub. <laughs> and then shit starts to kind of escalate here. Missy ends up hanging herself. Um, she's talking about her stomach being fucked up and, and Lewis is like, I can help you out. I'm a doctor. And she's like, oh, it'll pass. Blah, blah, blah. Missy ends up hanging herself. Um, and then you get Stephen King as a cameo as the priest at, at Missy's uh, at Missy's funeral. And that that spot, actually, that exact spot, that grave where they uh, they did that, the, the ceremony there and then walking up the hill and everything where gauges uh, uh, later on. Spoiler alert! Mm-hmm. Cage's uh, 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 tombstone is. We actually visited that exact spot. So oh, okay. We whenever we were in Maine, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> this is where we buried Missy, and she was still banging on the <laughs> coffin. Yeah. Well, and that's also where the uh, where the uh, the lamb grave that I think I showed when we did the the um, the Stephen King episode with um, Georgie, like Georgie's yeah. grave is supposed right, to be yeah. in that too. Which you think he got the inspiration for for 
Georgie from uh, from it. But in any case, Rachel, you start to get this idea of where Rachel has all these issues with death and guilt because her sister had some sort of um, I forget what they call I forget what the disease was, but her name was Zelda. And she was kind of kept in the back room. They treated her as kind of like a leper because she had some sort of like degenerative kind of disease. And it's such a creepy kind of out of nowhere scene. Um, And, and the, the, the person that like plays Zelda is like so animated. It's so cartoonish and over the top Um, and and the prosthetics and stuff. It's really creepy. But um, Lewis, you know, as as a doctor, just comforts her with Valium is like, don't worry, you you'll t- you take Valium now. Um, so he just drugs her like, hey, you'll be fine. So they're having a picnic with with Ed Gwynn, you know, uh, as as you one does. And this there's this dirty truck before before oh, we get there. I just wanted to point out one scene that like I think mm-hmm. it's uh, this film is actually really quotable that uh, there's a bunch of quotes, especially by Fred Gwynn. Um, but there's a scene between him and Lewis and they're sitting at the table having a beer and Mm -hmm. it's after, I believe it's after church has been resurrected and Lewis asks Judd, have you ever buried a person there? And yeah, yeah. And just the, his reaction is to knock all the beer bottles on the ground. Fumbles them and, all. Yeah. <laughs> his big giant, big giant monster hands. He's like, yeah. it just knocks all the Budweiser bottles down. Yeah. And his line is, Christ on his throne. No. It's <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. I just, I yeah. just haven't heard Christ on his throne as like a, as a expletive. Yeah. That's the equivalent of my, my mom saying, my mom's favorite one is Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Right, yeah. Yeah, I grew up in a Jesus, Mary, and Joseph house. I didn't grow up in a Christ yeah. on his throne house. <laughs> my One of my other ones my, my grandmother likes to do is Judas Priest. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a good one. Anyway, so yeah, they're having a, they're having a, 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 a picnic out there with, with Judd. And uh, and this dirty trucker, you know, coming over the hill, listening to the Ramones like a real D-Gen. Hell yeah. Um, and, and he's just getting ready to mush a kid like you can just tell. And uh, the wind lures Gage. You know, he's he's holding the he's holding a this is a very dreamlike sequence as well. And he's holding a, a kite. He's flying a kite. And uh, and. and you know, he starts getting pulled towards the road and then he's like, save him. You know, he's running and like Lewis is a mathlete, not an athlete. Right. So uh, like he's not getting there in time. And, and the truck just 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 on the lives gauge, like real hard right in the middle of the street. And you don't see it. Right. But you see everyone screaming and you see the, the direction from uh, the, the point of view from gauge. Yeah. You also get and the that, sound design of tires running over like there's a there's a serious bunch of and it's like ugh. <laughs> yeah 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 it's 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 a rough it's a rough scene um and then fast forward to the to the funeral of gage and rachel's dad just whips lewis's ass at the funeral just beats his ass again, again another quotable line he's like yeah. you stinking shit you killer of children and then just beats his ass wholesale <laughs> just beats his ass at the funeral. I'm like, at this point, listen, uh, I'm just gonna. I've had enough emotional devastation. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna make light of the whole thing. But it is a rough, rough scene. Yeah, this movie just like again. This is like what people I think 
really what I love about Stephen King is like the movies I talk about, I like just like unpredictable, mean, unhinged. Stephen King is not is never afraid to go there. No, like he is just a sadistic son of a bitch. Like he'll just take you there in a second. Yeah. Um, like they, they then, knock they knock the fucking coffin you know, in their in their fight, they knock the coffin over yeah. and it opens up and you see the little dead kid's hand. Like there's no way that wasn't a detail in the original oh. book. So like oh. Yeah, just brutal. upsetting. Just brutal shit, right? Um, just the worst thing you can think of that would happen, right? Um like so anyway, um you know, again, Ellie, the sister, knows that God is an asshole and just like gives her you know, dad, some thinkies about how God is an asshole and blah, blah, blah. Um, Judd comes over and warns Lewis. He's like, don't, don't bury that kid. <laughs> like, don't you do it. And tells him a story about a local kid who, when he was young, got, did get buried and got turned into a zombie Timmy. And, uh, and then him and his dad got like burned in a house. It's a whole sequence. I'm not going to get into the details of it for the sake of time, but it's a whole, it's a whole damn thing. So this has happened again. He's like, no, I remember how I said nobody would do that. They did do it. It went poorly. Don't do it. And this is where you get, you know, probably the most iconic line or memorable line of it, which is this sometimes dead is better. And he says it a lot of times, his thick main accent. (laughs) Well, sometimes dead is better. And Judd is like convinced at this point that he was responsible. Like he took them to bury the cat. And then that's what brought this whole evil on their family. And ultimately he's responsible for, for Gage dying. Ellie is having these like prophetic dreams. I mentioned how she knows God's an asshole and she knows what's going on. She, she starts to like be able to pick up on the idea that, that um, uh, uh, God, uh, Lewis is going to take, Gage and bury him and and Gage is going to come back and she knows something bad's going to happen. Rachel and Ellie go to Chicago to visit her parents and Lewis stays behind. He like has this little scene where he makes up with the dad. It's kind of inconsequential. But at this point, you start to realize Lewis has fucking lost it. And he goes out, digs up Gage in the in the graveyard like he's he's fucking fully unhinged at this point. Rachel starts to believe Ellie's dreams because she's starting to know details of shit she shouldn't know. And he keeps she keeps trying to call Lewis. There's no answer. Calls Judd and Judd immediately knows what's happening. Like he knows that Lewis took Gage to bury him in the pet cemetery. Um, And Rachel is starting to have dreams about Zelda. Um, And these are some of the most memorable scenes in the movie. I think for a lot of people like they're not necessarily my favorite for a lot of people, the Zelda scenes of Zelda being the, the, the tortured disease sister in the back room that like Rachel was like happy died and all this stuff. She feels all this guilt for, she keeps having these flashbacks of like Zelda popping up and chasing her around and saying wild shit to her are, are pretty memorable. I think for a lot of folks. Yeah. I I mean, it's like the character design and everything. And it's like at the time, I believe what yeah. Zelda suffers from is spina bifida. Oh, um, I thought it was like spinal meningitis or something. It might be. The, uh, I feel like spinal spina meningitis. Bifida. Yeah. I feel like spinal meningitis kills you pretty quickly, but maybe it is that. Mm. I don't know. But yeah. My dad used to call me spina bifida was like a pet name. He used to say it when we were kids. 
It's pretty okay. fucking weird. Huh? Yeah. He used to not... say spina bifida. He used to like say, shut up, spina bifida. <laughs> like, that was like a little like fat, like joking yeah. insult. He probably just meant scoliosis <laughs> and he didn't know it. I know. But I until you just said that, I didn't know spina bifida was like a real thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what yeah. she suffers from because like it's like it's something that like 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 really hinders like your bone or like twists your bone growth in a in a way yeah, that she's like, all like contorted and shit yeah. yeah it's no good yeah so i think that's what it, i think that's the disease that she suffered from and like that's why they just kind of like locked her away in a room and it's mm. a that's a very waspy thing to do you know totally. a, a very kennedy thing to do is to hide your yeah you know hide hide the shame of your family away Except for with the Kennedys, that's because they're inbred. But yeah, well, same yeah. similar situation. So yeah, still inbred. But you gotta send those inbreds off to the fucking loony farm to get their brains dug out. Put them in the attic. Yep. Um. Yeah. So Lewis does as you would expect. Everyone knows is going to happen. He does bury Gage at the old uh, uh, burial ground, and Rachel is led back. It's Pascal's ghost. Is she? He's kind of being the guide, right? He's like bringing her into the mix trying to save the situation he's like the the friendly ghost situation whereas the uh uh you know the the, the sour ground if you will of, of of the the land beyond the pet cemetery is um is obviously you know pulling lewis in um so it's this race against the clock a little bit type of thing she crashes the car you get this sense, like I said, of the good and evil spirits really working at odds with one another because it's like, oh, now she crashes the car, but then Pascal's like continue to help her get there. This is a question. Who is the so Lewis is going back and he's carrying Gage's corpse and he's carrying up over the the branches and all that stuff. And there's a little like rock that and, and, a, and a face pops out of it. You know what I'm talking about? Uh oh. Who I can't. the fuck is that? I've uh, watched this movie a few times and I, I I don't know if I just kind of missed this point or whatever, but I was like, who is that like face that it's like a distorted ghost face kind of thing that pops out of the rocks on his way to the burial site? And it, I was like, is it Pascal? Like I thought it was for a minute, but it doesn't look like him. And this is the first time I really paid close enough attention and like actually was like, wait a second, let me try to make sense of who this is. Was it the was I didn't it look the, it up. I forgot yeah. to look it up. Was it the ghost of Tim? Like Was it? I don't know. Yeah. Zombie Tim? I always thought Perhaps. it was Pascal. I thought I thought it was Pascal because I didn't pay attention. So <laughs> Yeah, it didn't look like Pascal. I guess that's what I was assuming in the past, but anyway. Yeah. Maybe, I think, maybe I think somebody that, out there knows. Yeah, I think that might be one of the things that's lost in translation. Cause like there's a whole thing about like the wendigo uh is like kind of the villain of this mm-hmm. uh story in the book and i think tim was supposed to be like a little bit more evil than he is but uh and it, maybe it was just the thing that yeah because we never actually get a good look at tim aside from him clawing at his face yeah you don't really so, too much right yeah i thought i thought it was either yeah. tim or pascal so yeah, I could be wrong. You just in the way it translates in this, and 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 if like the whole Windigo thing comes up more in the book, I mean, in this in the movie, you really just kind of get this idea that it's like some sort of evil spirit. That's mm-hmm. that's really vaguely what it comes across as. Um, as you might imagine, Gage pops up. Rachel ends up hitchhiking home with a truck driver, like 
truck, a truck driver, not unlike somebody who would have ran over a child. But zombie Gage gets um, ends up going back and getting into to daddy's doctor bag and grabs himself a little scalpel uh, as as one does. So Rachel arrives home and in here's uh, something that sounds like Zelda, like calling her name. So her sister that died and then Gage laughing. Uh, Rachel goes over, Gage has, has went into Judd's house. I think Ray, or I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Rachel. Yeah. Rachel goes, I think Gage has already off Judd at this point. Yeah. Is that accurate? Yeah. yeah. Gage is already off Judd. Like that's the first person he kills. And mm-hmm. it's like, I think that's, you, you know, get the, you get the muddy footprints, mm-hmm. you know, that, that cause, cause Judd passes out on the front porch, drinking a couple, two tree buds. Yeah. wakes up and is like fuck muddy little baby footprints <laughs> little baby kid <laughs> baby little kid dang. baby kid got in the house can't have baby kid oh, right around the house <laughs> uh, shouldn't have left the door unlocked for baby kid to come out with his muddy shoes um, he got his damn muddy shoes all over the bed <laughs> <laughs> Rachel goes in yeah cause Gage is in the upstairs bedroom and Gage tells her that um, that he brought her something and then he, he's got the scalpel. Right. And and Rachel like hugs her and then he stabs her. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so Rachel's dead at this point. Yeah. She she pretty much Lit- like dies off screen. Like because it's 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 a quick cut to like her screaming. Yeah. And then that's when we wake up to another Lewis Pratt fall. It's it's yeah. the death of Judd. That's the brutal one where like he cuts his Achilles tendon. That's the Achilles tendon cut. Yeah, yeah I forgot to write it and down. Then, that's the one of the most memorable ones because because yeah. he, he slashes the Achilles tendon with the scalpel. Right. And then he cuts. He gives him the Joker fucking cut across the mouth and then he, <laughs> oh, yeah. then he leans i was down. thinking that was lewis but yeah yeah, yeah. sorry i was thinking that was rachel but it's judd yeah it's judd and then he leans down and bites judd's neck out and it's just like ugh. but then also oh, i yeah. i just kind of like it's uh, it's a brutal scene but also i kind of laugh at it because it's uh, 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 uh like the directing of like okay okay miko now you gotta lay your head into fred gwynn's neck like lay your head down yeah. on this old man's neck <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretend to ch- pretend to rip out his jugular yeah. yeah which they can't even like explain that to a kid it's just like put your face into his neck <laughs> yeah yeah that was a weird that was a weird day on set um lewis you said the pole pratt fall thing he wakes up he finds the muddy footprints as well and the doctor bag the scalpel's gone he he's like oh no something bad's going on he gets a call from gage and this is when Gage is doing the like, come play with me, daddy. Uh, for, uh, first, I play with Judd and then I play with mommy. We had a good time. Uh, now I want to play with you. You. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's so it's but like I said, it's upsetting because this is his dead child. Right. So no good. This is bad. Bad news. I, I, I really want to read this story. I got to assume this is just a fucking brutal story to get through. Yeah. Um, but uh, so this is when uh, 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 Lewis is he's got Morphe. So he's like, um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to get some syringes full of uh, of some sedative. And, you know, this is how I'm going to subdue uh, uh, Gage. Right. So he goes over to Judd's house and. um 
you know, he has one last kind of run in with church and he distracts the cat uh, and then uh, kills it, you know, with with a shot of uh, the sedative. Um, And then he heads into the house and he's the gauge is still like just fucking with him at this point. Um, Lewis is like going around the house and. You know, he gets he finds his his dead wife um, in the attic, you know, that's kind of, she's like hanging by her neck. It's not good. Right. This is like I said, he's things things are really falling apart for Lewis at this point. Gage um, shoots down from the attic <laughs> in like a borderline cartoonish. Like uh, I remember the first time I saw this movie. I'm like a Superman dive from the attic type situation. Yeah, it's a full on Um, header. (laughs) Yeah, which he's dead. So he's like, he's not feeling any pain. Right. So I get the idea. But it just it's 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 aggressive. It's not the move you're expecting him to make. But ultimately, Lewis does get the syringe out and and, in sticks it into gauge. And it doesn't like kill him right away. Um, But. The scene that always sticks with me and my brother, my cousin, I quote this scene quite quite often for whatever reason is after he sticks the syringe in a gauge, Gage is like, not fair. Yeah. Not fair. <laughs> it's just like it's such an off-putting, weird, weird line. Yeah. He's like, not fair. Um but you can you, this you, is like a toddler. Right. Right. Yeah. Like on the one hand, like kids say that kind of shit all the time. But on the other sure. hand, it feels it feels like something else is saying it like, yeah, like just like this, this Wendigo or whatever is, you know, like upset at modern medicine. Like, oh, don't, yeah, he's like, don't you OD shut me, down bro. the body. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't morphine me, bro. Don't OD me. That's yeah. not cool. I, I love cool. the next shot. I swear to God, this has to be something that they captured in behind the scenes because mm-hmm. It shows the actor like stumbling backwards. The little kid, he stumbles backwards yeah. and then he falls and hits his head for real. I, I honestly think he does. Like this was just like a scene that happened and they got it on and they just cut it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's something I, I really think you're right. Yeah, because like there's no lighting. The The thing that makes me yeah. realize that it has to be something behind the scenes that they just put in later is it yeah. looks like they were probably lighting the scene to have him fall down. But like yeah. there's no lighting in that scene and it's all dark and the only lighting is coming in from the window. So he, right. it was just they were filming the little kid wandering around in the hallway getting ready for the scene. Yeah. And then he just stumbles and bangs his head and they're like, holy shit, that's great. Like, we're going to keep that. Yeah, They were just like, <laughs> let's keep this kid getting CTE scene in the movie. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, it's the whole thing is upsetting. The whole end of this movie is upsetting. Um, and then not fair, not fair, fair. um, just whatever really sticks always stuck with me. Um, and then at this point, you know, he kills, he kills, you know, gauge fucking, but you know, he gave him the morphine. Lewis just starts torching the house. Um, and he, he, but he grabs, he grabs Rachel's body and, and like Pascal's just watching at this point, the, the brain ghost from earlier and he tells, uh, you know, he's like apologizing to Lewis and and he's like, don't you fucking think about it. Don't you do it, you rat fuck. <laughs> don't you bury your your wife in the fucking pet cemetery. Like, you don't be an idiot. 
Um, and Lewis um, uh, is like, no, no, it's I just messed up last time. Like, <laughs> it's going to be fine yeah. this time. Yeah, this time. Uh, like, I like, waited too long. I promise it's, right. it's going to work. Like, it's going to work this time. Yeah. Um, and he's like, you know, she she just died. Like, her brain's not been dead long ago. Meanwhile, you got to hike like a fucking mile into the woods. You know what I yeah. mean? And like, she's, I mean, you remember. Been yeah. murdered brutally. Like, it's not like her body's in good shape anyway. But, no, she's all fucked up. Yeah. And he's got to carry her fucking a mile into the woods. Yeah. But like, and, you know, and, in his logic. Yeah. You know, the cat was already an asshole, so that made sense. And Gage, right. well, he had already been like embalmed and had his organs taken out. So, of course, that's bad. That's bad news. But Rachel, going to be great. They, Rachel, yeah. she was a good person. And then I can I got her fresh. So this will work just yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is obviously going to work great. And Lewis is like warning him, but he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm, I'm past this. Right. I'm going to do it. Um, So, you, you know assumed it's it's happened he's buried his his wife lewis is just like playing sitting there playing solitaire and uh and rachel comes you know jaunting through the door and and she's like uh hey baby you know and uh and they they both start hugging and kissing and um and then you kind of see her face and just like shit's fucked up she's all gooing out right she's in bad shape and uh, as they're like smooching, she reaches for a knife, and um, you know, and and assumedly, you know, stabs him, um, because you know Lewis is a fucking moron and didn't learn his lesson literally two times, and right. now he's like, probably two, you know, come on. It, it, it went horribly the first two times. It's obviously going to go pretty well this third time, but it doesn't. And and Lewis ultimately gets uh, gets what uh, whatever we expected him to get. So yeah, and that's it, jeans guys. It's a real it's a real eighties ending too because it's just her picking up the knife and then like a cut the black. You know, it's just mm-hmm. you know. I, I I'll note that this is one of the few screenplays that King also wrote. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot, there's a lot that are adaptations of his work, but this one he also wrote the screenplay for. So he made a lot of the decisions of like what actually went in and went. And I think that helps preserve uh, why this one's feels more authentic to King because he was yeah. making the decisions. Yeah. And the pacing is really, really great in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the one that I would say like, yeah, there's some stuff we had mentioned. There's not much between the father and 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 Lewis, uh, Rachel's father and Lewis. So there's some things you just got to assume. But for the most part, there's not a bunch of jumps to, of logic mm-hmm. like it doesn't feel like a book being adapted for the most part. It feels like a, 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 a well-paced movie. Right. Uh, script for the most part. Um, you know, I think Gerald's game, eh, there's some stuff that, me- that that gets a little bit lost there. Uh, uh, dead zone. There's definitely some stuff that gets lost. Yeah. But like this, I feel like is pretty, is, is pretty even keeled. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like there's big, like jumps in time or anything that happened. Well, I mean, I mean, there are big jumps in time because they go from one thing to yeah, Thanksgiving, but, but it's not, it's not, it, uh, doesn't unconnected. feel like anything's missing in this story. Right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not unconnected in a way. Like it, it makes, it's a, it's a proper progression that makes a lot of sense that, yeah, yeah, yeah it's overall, it's a 
good put together movie. It's just like a lot of the performances are like they they come off silly, which it helps. It helps the film not feel as dour as it would be with all yeah, the, this with movie all the would dead be kids stuff. Really depressing if mm-hmm. if shit wasn't kind of silly. Yeah. So like, but I that's why I kind of like it. It's like a lot of King stuff has very deliberately injected moments of levity mm-hmm. um, and, and, and just straight out like dick and fart jokes sometimes. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where it's like I where I feel like this this is fairly it is fairly appropriate. And I don't know, I, I, I need to read the source material, but like having read enough King to know that he injects that type of thing in it. And I like that it's. The, the dreaminess and the way it was it was directed and we didn't talk too much about the the direction um or or the screenplay or anything like that for for you know lack of time but um overall it was it was competently directed despite the fact that Mary Lambert really didn't do anything else of consequence <laughs> in her directing career um but like it definitely felt like this was something that like had a, a huge amount of King influence. Yeah. Um, and, and for that reason, like play do it's the strengths of the story. Yeah. Yeah. This feels like, uh, um, they didn't necessarily give him the budget that would have done the best job, which is why he's, they didn't really hire, you know, the, the, the name actors for top tier yeah. performers. Yeah. yeah. But like, you know, although Fred Gwynn's fucking oh yeah. kills it. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Fred Gwynn, I wouldn't replace like that. Miko Hughes is like for a baby is, you know, yeah. good. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's just it's really just like Rachel and Lewis that feel weird. But like in their weirdness, it keeps also the f- Ellie. Not great. Eh, I mean, she's child fine. performance. Yeah. yeah. Child performance. She 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 mediocre child performance right. is fine serviceable job performance. serviceable but there's a couple couple times with the cries where i'm like yeah do better child i do i do like when she <laughs> talks about church stinking though just the way she yeah just the way he's like i don't like him around he stinks too much no more <laughs> i'll yeah. spend my entire yeah. allowance to get him a bath because he smells bad <laughs> yeah he's dead sorry yeah. he dead but yeah and, and even the character of pascal like I know this is way later, but Pascal reminds me of the movie The Frighteners. The way <laughs> yeah. Michael J. Fox like has Seth, yeah, just the way he had. Oh, I was gonna say Seth Green, but that's because I'm thinking of Idle uh, Hands. What's the fuck? You're thinking Idle of Idle Hands. Hands, yeah, yeah. But I mean, kind of still yeah. kind of the same, you know, vein. But like, yeah, Michael J. Yeah. Fox has these ghosts that are only tangentially related to him, following him around and harassing him. And that feels like what mm-hmm. Pascal is like you, the Lewis and Pascal only met in the hospital. They weren't longtime friends or anything. He didn't um, yeah, like he didn't contribute to his death. And, you know, so it's like, yeah, OK, he's just following him around and like giving him these visions. <laughs> well, you you it's very briefly mentioned of like, oh, they and, and, and the it's the scene with Ellie and she's like because he died when she was present and, and she's like trying to say the word and she can't pronounce it. And then, yeah, she calls it, it ultimately Pax-Cal. comes out. It's like, yeah, but not even the name, but like the thing that happened when his soul. Oh changed, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, when he passed crossover or whatever. 
it kind of very briefly explains the connection between Lewis and Pascal. Mm-hmm. But I got to assume in the story that was fleshed out more. Yeah, because also it's alluded that Rachel has the shining because i mean you know as it is like you know all some characters throughout all of king's books have the shining in some way so yeah. i think it's alluded and to ellie does obviously mm-hmm. in some capacity too yeah. yeah yeah but yeah otherwise i mean otherwise this this version is far far superior to that to, uh 2019 remake that one i didn't even i didn't even make it the way through i really watched the first like 20 minutes of it and i was like this is dog shit yeah i I like i like the opening like kid funeral parade that's kind of like a fun you know visual but otherwise that (laughs) fun's the word yeah yeah. i would use but otherwise like that they try so hard to put their like serious pants on we're making a serious scary movie and it's gonna be slick and it's gonna be scary and you're gonna shit your pants like ugh, ugh. (laughs) <laughs> no, sucks ass. Maybe I'll feel different in 10 years, but right now it feels like it really sucks ass. I, d- I doubt you will. <laughs> Probably not. All right, Pet Cemetery ins, guys. Three down, one to go. That means it's time for the dead zone. For the dead zone. Sounds like a, like, uh, like shitty, uh, this is, this is a movie that absolutely suffers from a shit title and the book for that matter too like the book whatever it's it's a stephen king book everyone's gonna read it it was a hugely successful novel because it's fucking stephen king at like the height of stephen kinginess Mm -hmm. but as far as the movie's concerned this is one that just oh man it's just a such a shit title yeah it's 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 a shit title because they don't really necessarily get into why things are called the dead zone like there's a real brief scene that I think like the movie has like maybe 30 minutes left and it's not even, it's not even the description from the book. Like the, the yeah. book dead zone is the part of the brain that's activated by the accident. Whereas yeah. they re-explain something else like it, the dead zone is in the visions. That's the period that, you know, fucking Christopher walk and Johnny can correct things. And it's like, eh, all right, whatever. <laughs> This is like a, this is like Dead Zone. The Dead Zone sounds like a, a, a B-side, forgotten B-side track from like a Power Man 5000 album or something. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I guess, I guess them, I guess them. Maybe Static, yeah, maybe Static X, maybe Static X. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, it would have been like, it would have been like, it would have been something space related if it was Power Man Right, 5, yeah, 000. exactly. Yeah. That's just the first brand, first band that came to my head for some reason. If you want to call it like the I dead just, satellite, I, you know, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, uh, the lead singer of Power Man 5000 is gutting it and directing now. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And he is far worse than his brother. <laughs> no shit. Uh, what's yeah. his fucking name? What's his uh, brother's name? Um well, his brother's Rob Zombie. Oh, Rob Zombie. Never mind. I was thinking of what's the piece of shit guy. Uh, uh, oh, my God. All I can think of is Drowning Pool. But what's the piece of shit <laughs> band? The guy uh, with the fucking makeup and shit that we watched one of his movies and he's dog shit. Oh, come on. Uh, he's the lead singer of the band. It was like a fucking oh, Cradle of Filth. Cradle oh, of Filth. Cradle of Filth. 
Yeah, yeah. you're thinking of Danny Filth. Danny yeah. Filth. I was getting, that's what I was getting mixed up. I was thinking his brother was Danny Filth, but yeah, you're right. His, mm. his brother's Rob Zombie. <laughs> Sorry, I listen to a lot of makeup bands. So when you say the asshole, the piece of shit from the makeup band, I'm like, that's a lot of them. Most of them all. Well, have, and like, I should have known because of Rob Zombie and his brother both have that like affinity for goggles. <laughs> like I should, yeah. I should have recognized that. <laughs> they both love yeah. a steampunk looking pair of fucking it's like somewhere between steam steampunk and ski goggles like it's somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. yeah steampunk space it's all you know it's all there yeah god protect your eyes when you're traveling in the dead zone <laughs> <laughs> riding driving a fucking cadillac convertible through the dead zone <laughs> oh yeah and our, our our patron ron would like to point out that another makeup band orgy is on tour so I actually saw that on Facebook. Really? <laughs> they, does they, like, does the guy still hold his microphone like this? <laughs> like, remember probably. how he used to do that? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I remember being, you know, I don't know, fucking 13 or whatever when Orgy came out and just watching him hold his microphone like that. And I was like, that's kind of a badass way to hold a microphone. <laughs> yeah. Although I'm pretty sure he probably stole that from Henry Rollins. Oh, Rollins yeah. used to hold he his did. mic all kinds of crazy ways. He did. He yeah. also used to wrap the cable around his bicep, and he's like, "Look how fucking rough my Look bicep is." Gonna... Yeah, the 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 iron never lies. <laughs> fuck, fuck you, Henry. You dork. <laughs> I like Henry. I, like I do him. too. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I do too. Yeah, I've seen his spoken word a couple <laughs> times. Anyway, let's move on to the movie of the Dead Zone. Uh. Directed by one Davy Cronenberg. Oh, big old Again, Davy boy. Big old Davy boy. He doesn't get as quite weird and gross as you would expect from David Cronenberg, but he does. Now, this is David Cronenberg at perhaps his most subdued. Yeah. this. I mean, overall, this movie is relatively subdued, like, mm-hmm. especially compared to the other three we talked about tonight. But like it, he still you can still see the talent and like the money he puts into it for no fucking reason because mm-hmm. the setup the fucking world war ii scene yeah the world like war ii scene is amazing but yeah just a just a quick you know start off is we get johnny uh played by christopher walken a very young johnny smith come yeah, on come on terrible a, name very a very young life you know christopher walken before mm-hmm. i think uh since this is 83 this predates prophecy and prophecy i think is the one film that like people were like oh he's a fucking weirdo like well this is right after i said they have to have filmed this right after the deer hunter right that's the other one where like the deer hunter was the take him seriously as an actor and then mm-hmm. you know the prophecy was like oh this guy is a fucking freak so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he'll he'll do anything won't he <laughs> yeah he's wild yeah we get Johnny set up with his love, Sarah, and she's played by Brooke Adams. I like Brooke Adams in this film. I, I don't know too much else that I remember her from. Um, I always get her mixed up with uh, uh, the the love interest from um, Scrooged. Okay, yeah. And I was just about to say, like, she was obviously cast in a way because she has a very Margot Kidder just mm-hmm. you know, just look about her and the way she kind of behave like she just reminds you of Karen like you just said and I was yeah. like oh yeah that could be her but is could also be Margot Kidder no it's Brooke Adams you got tricked uh, <laughs> you got double tricked she, she, 
the the reason that I that remember her like the only reason I can distinguish her if I like tr- really picture their faces she was in the seventy eight remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers which right. is one of my favorite horror movies yeah yeah but I mean she's she's great in this as well uh, and Tom Skerritt is also in this and you have Martin Sheen as like kind of Tom the- Skerritt fucking quality <laughs> fucking quality love that guy. He's, he'll never he he's like a good steady just baseline. He'll never steer you wrong. He might he's gonna get it done. He might not pop, but he's also not gonna steer you wrong. He's not gonna screw you over and be bad. He's gonna lend gravity. Like he's just a he's just a he's just serious as a fucking heart attack. Yeah. I love him. And then Martin Sheen, who just also undeniable. So stack. yeah, he's great. Yeah. He's fan, he's in he's great in everything. I mean, honestly. I can't think of anything Martin Sheen is in that he's not good. Right. Yeah. If like, I don't really think of him as like, if you gave me, say, name your 100 favorite performers, <laughs> Martin Sheen would never <laughs> even come up. But if I really think about it, he's great in everything. Yeah. If you think if you think you've seen a bad Martin Sheen role, you're wrong. You actually saw Joe Estevez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. You were mistaken, sir. You made a whoops. Holy shit. He has 261 credits on IMDb, acting credits on IMDb. Holy shit, yeah. That is a high number. I'm trying to think, like, there ain't that many higher than that. I mean, I think Samuel L. Jackson is probably the all-timer. I mean, yeah, I mean, you really have to get... I also am very intrigued to learn, because I did not realize this, um, not to belabor the point, but Martin Sheen has two directing credits mm. as well. He was the director of a movie called Cadence in <laughs> 1990. And then uh, he did uh, direct one episode of the CBS School Break special. Oh, wow. In 1986. <laughs> um, but guess who the star of Cadence in 1990 is? It's Charlie Sheen. It is Charlie Sheen, sir. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's Charlie Sheen. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Emilio wouldn't let his dad direct him, though. (laughs) He said, no, thank you. No, no. He has more sense than that. Yeah. He said, no, I'm going to do men at work and you don't fucking bother me on set. (laughs) But solid cast all around. Uh, Johnny Smith. Like this movie moves so fucking fast because it doesn't spend a whole lot of time with anything. But you get that. You know, Johnny Smith and Sarah are together. They're planning to wed, but Johnny's also having headaches. And then one night, just as he leaves her at home on a rainy night, he, you know, by chance crashes into a truck. It's goddamn trucks again. Sons <laughs> of bitching trucks. Fucking trucks. They're, always the, they're source of a lot of problems. I mean, guys, I, I don't want to bring up Maximum Overdrive. But trucks are the whole problem in that movie. King hates a truck. King King the loves God, a 15-minute walkable city. King hates a truck. Yeah. <laughs> hates a truck. Anti-truck across the board. <laughs> you probably had like just like one house where he lived where just like horns and trucks were annoying him all the time and he just like took up arms. <laughs> He's like, fuck you truck drivers. You just remember drivers. like a 12-year-old Stephen King just laying in bed like with a pillow wrapped around his head just going, fucking trucks I'll show fast them. forward 60 years there's a giant fucking bibliography of anti-truck propaganda <laughs> fucking trucks man <laughs> fucking trucks but yeah once uh johnny regains consciousness we we learn that he's actually been in a coma for five years 
It, it, oh, this is a heartbreaking. This yeah. is heartbreaking scene. Yeah. Yeah, it's heartbreaking the way like his parents have to reveal everything to him. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to reveal that like Sarah's moved on and like oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's brutal. And then but then also he learns that he's gained the ability to see past and present lives for people. And it's these first two visions that like Cronenberg really fucking nails of mm. the nurse's daughter in the burning house. Like yeah. just the way it's put together because it's put together as if like Johnny's hospital bed is also in the room in the house with her. And it makes it disorienting. Like it communicates just as, as much as it needs to, mm-hmm. but it's also like disorienting for the viewer. Right. And because you're not, and honestly, if you think about it, it's very Cronenbergian too. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Because he, tra- he just transports it. you into a space that you're not familiar with. Like, yeah. Like I said, it's it's not into the gross body horror that he usually does, but he has no problem like disorienting you with like where you are and you know who you're interacting with. Mm-hmm. And like it, it, it's also just kind of a great setup. Like with all the fire around them, Johnny's in his bed, and like the bed is on fire, and you can. You can tell the effect is that they cut the they cut space for Christopher Walken to kind of pop up from underneath the bed. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, his his legs are fake torso legs or whatever that are on fire. But like it's still it's still yeah, but like you're this is early in the movie for the for the main character to be on fire. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <what> I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> so you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, like, like, why is he on fire? It's a lot going on. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a great setup. And then the next one he has is when he touches the hand of his doctor and he has this grand flashback to World War II. And like Mm. this World War II scene is out of fucking control because it's tanks, it's soldiers, it's bombs. There's horses. You have a bunch of extras running around. It's It's just like really quickly. They're just like. Let's throw a fucking full on World War Two scene. Yeah. How how much that fucking cost? I know know what I mean. Like. Yeah, I mean, and, and like, there's so many ways. Like, apparently, the budget for the film was only seven million. I mean, that's back in '83. Yeah, but still, '83. That's. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a healthy budget, but that's not throw throw unnecessary World War Two scene with horses in right. budget. You know, yeah, exactly. And also, just like when you think of the film as a grand scale. Just the number of locations they film in, because they're all over the fucking place in this in this movie. Because again, yeah. this the uh, I believe the book is like almost four hundred fifty pages long. So mm-hmm. like, it's a hundred and thirty thousand some words. Trying to condense that into a two hour movie is like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not even that this is like a hour 45 well, this is like an hour four yeah, yeah i was gonna say hour 40 hour 45 like this is a pretty tight movie and it does show that at times uh like we'll get into it but like it it, it does like there's a lot of jump in the fuck around mm-hmm. you know what i mean it almost plays this movie almost plays like a like an anthology in that right. there's almost like three separate stories that are just happen to have some of the same characters in them right but, yeah, the kind of the, yeah. like the connective tissue is Sarah it, it, through the whole film, I would yeah. say. But then, like, yeah. you have these three separate stories of like just kind of the initial, uh, like Johnny awakening and coming to his powers, 
then the next mm-hmm. part you, you would probably say is like the serial killer part and then yes then the ending with uh martin sheen's character of senator stilson the thing i like about this is this movie gets better as it goes mm-hmm. you know what i mean like the first part like hey i'm on board i love this like Christopher Walken's keeping your attention. You're feeling for him. And then the second part with this serial killer, like, oh, fuck. Now we're going into a whole serial killer shit. That's wild. And then the the climactic ending is like it really it ramps up. And the pacing is just even though it seems a little disjointed, the pacing is great. Yeah. Like the other part of this that kind of makes it feel like multiple films is just there's a constant ebb and flow for Johnny. Like he's constantly mm gaining something but also losing something at the same time mm-hmm. so like he gains powers but loses sarah he gets this notoriety but also it comes back to bite him in a way that like he can't teach anymore he can't operate as a normal person you yeah. know he, he tries to like solve a murder but like in that he you know that's also part of him losing his normal life so yeah and then you know, in the end, his whole life, he just like any any amount of normalcy is out the fucking window. Mm-hmm. The second he realizes what's going on, he like tries to resist it for a second, but it's like, now nah, you're fucked. Yeah, which I think also they do a great job. It's it's in the subtext, but it's like the determinism of everything, because mm-hmm. Johnny has little to no control over his life, but through his visions, he has control over other people's lives, and he can like he can give and take away from other people with his visions, but he can't ever seem to get things right for him. So it feels like things are already determined for him to not win. Yeah. Like the symbolism of the roller coaster in the opening scene is like, he's just on a fucking ride Mm -hmm. and he really doesn't have any control where he begins or ends or how long it takes. Like he's, he's on a fucking ride and he's just, he's kind of a pawn in the game really. Yeah. And even though it's ups and downs, it's still just a track controlled ride. So like, yeah. You, you just ride it anyway. You go with it. You can't can't yeah. get out of it. <laughs> so, yeah, I love that scene, though, when he's like, how f- wild is it to be acting on a roller coaster? Like, right. I know that sounds a little bit like cliche, but like, <laughs> that's wild to be like, all right, make sure you do this at this point. You know, just yeah. acting on a roller coaster is such a wild thing to have to do. Yeah, that, that's a funny thing. I, you know, like it's probably like an interesting setup that they had to do to put the camera on the front and then like. I wonder if like the boom was like in some way adjusted to the front of the car and had to hang, you know, go up and then hang down. I don't know. It just reminds me of like this past. I, I once I uh, went to a, a Kennywood, the Phantom Fright Nights, mm-hmm. you know, last year with Halloween. So, and I, uh, me and my cousins, have we ate mushrooms and then went to Phantom Fright Nights, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> through all the, went through all the, went through all the, through all the haunts and stuff. It was wild. And like, we went through all the haunts and we were on mushrooms. So we were like, well, this is wild. But then riding a roller coaster on mushrooms was one Ugh. of the weirdest experiences of my <laughs> life. Like I felt like a rag doll being thrown around. And I just imagine like that to a certain extent, because you have to be like hyper vigilant of what your emotions are doing while you're, you know, while you're acting uh-huh. and, and the way he's like looking around and like being all disoriented, it just like, gave me weird PTSD of being high on mushrooms <laughs> or riding a roller coaster. <laughs> uh, oh man. Yeah. It, 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 I, it would be so disorienting. I don't, I don't do the roller coasters, so I can't imagine doing them in, in any other way than sober. 
It was so bonkers. It was very strange. It was an experience I'll remember for the rest of my life in a weird way. <laughs> Self-induced emotional scarring and psychological trauma. It was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with me. Hey, you know, hey, you <laughs> Midlife get... crisis, I don't know what's happening. Yeah, do things to do things. <laughs> Honestly, that's 100% what it was. Yeah. What would it be like if I rode a roller coaster in the dark on mushrooms <laughs> rode the rode the thunderbolt in the dark on mushrooms yeah and it's cold too right uh uh anyway after the uh after the world war ii scene we we get more of johnny and like he's doing the rehab but then he gets his first visit from sarah and like this is kind of like one of those heartbreaking things because like he he appears reserved to like his fate Mm-hmm. but also yeah. like you know he's just still in love with her like he has no like recourse because oh, so bad yeah, yeah he has no recourse but they're still because like even he says like it was just yesterday for me you know the yeah is this the is this the scene too when his dad is like sit is dad's there too uh i don't think it's when he dad is in that scene no, no I, I might be jumping ahead. I just remember a scene. I didn't write down, but I remember a scene. When oh, no, that one's later. Like, that one's later. Yeah, yeah. That one's much later. No, this oh, this is his heartbreaking. first. Yeah, this is his first visit from her. And like, oh, this is the very first visit after he's. Out of yeah, the yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, like she drives away and like she's obviously destroyed by it. But like you can't help like the way things. And he's are. got the crutches, mm-hmm. too. It's brutal. Yeah, he's in the crutches. He's in the halo. He's like explaining. It was just yesterday yeah, for me, but like it's been five years yeah. for you. Like I get your point of view, mm-hmm. but also you have to understand where I'm coming from. So <laughs> that's the most brutal part about it is like there's no there's no bad guy. Right. In this scenario. Right. Like he is totally accepting of her point of view. He understands. He empathizes with her, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make it easier yeah. for him. Yeah, and, and like that's that's great writing as far as conflict goes, because there mm-hmm. is no bad guy, but there is still conflict. Like you can't help it. Yeah. yeah. But speaking of bad guy, the next scene is when he's doing the uh, press conference and talking about his powers, oh, yeah. and that's where you get this. Yeah. You get the first dribble of like Stilson because somebody brings it up in the press conference, and I, I like the mm-hmm. way Stilson is kind of dribbled again throughout the story you see little flashes you hear like the you see it in the papers he's on billboards so like there's something building there but you you don't know that yet so yeah like on first watch you don't know where this movie's going it's it's a little confusing (laughs) you're like Mm. where's this going uh i'll just i'll stick with this love story i guess that'll carry me through (laughs) yeah where's martin sheen come in i'm looking for some martin sheen Yeah. yeah he um yeah, I, I, I'll be honest with you. It's probably the first time because this is only the second time I watched this movie, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I I fell in love with it the first time I watched it. But this is the first time I realized that he was more of a through line. First time through, I was like, it just went over my head. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they do their best to like pepper little things, which I'm sure it's more apparent in the book that you get a lot more of that. You know, kind of background noise of like where Johnny is headed because like yeah. this is where you kind of get you know the the idea of like he can do some good with his powers and i believe it's shortly after this scene yeah so what happens is you know johnny's mother dies 
from watching this press conference and the way he mm-hmm. you know it just upsets her to a point she's she's a very religious irish lady so like mm-hmm. all this craziness isn't for her mind to comprehend and she dies it's too much she dies <laughs> yeah. but after after this loss for johnny is when he first gets presented by tom scarrett the idea of helping find the serial killer yeah and the serial killer like i'll be honest with you the first time i watched this i I did not see that, like, who the serial killer is. I kind of didn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. Like, they did a pretty good job of, like, hi- I don't say hiding it, but, like, I don't know. I, I guess I thought it was going to be more predictable. This movie is a is definitely an underviewed, underwater. Like, I think it has a reputation at this point of, like, being kind of underappreciated. Mm. So I underestimated it. And I was just like, oh, it's going to be somebody more predictable. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, and so I wasn't like paying close. To, like I, I, I just underestimated it. Yeah, because I mean, they, they don't like I said. It, it's all in this the way they dribble things out. Because you get this scene mm-hmm. in Christmas time where Tom Scarrett is asking to help find the serial killer, but then it's kind of dropped for a bit because you get another visit from Sarah, and this is where you're talking about that scene with the father. Because yeah. Sarah comes to the visit. Christmas time. Yeah. yeah. Sarah comes to visit with her with her son. And like you have kind of like this emotional get together between her and Johnny. Like they even wind up having sex together. And then they're at the dinner table with her uh, with Johnny's father. And he says, it's nice to have the fa- have a family eating around this table again. Which that's yeah. the that's the heart wrenching kind of like rip of oh because the mom's dead and she yeah it's fucking brutal yeah yeah Yeah, the mom's dead the you know the son isn't really theirs like it's yeah it's not (laughs) it's not what he thinks it is and it's just that one little misstep again no one's a villain but it's the it's the nail on the head of like ugh. (laughs) yeah this could have been you guys if not for this one faithful instance you know right uh, but yeah, from that, Johnny, it, this is the one kind of loose tie that doesn't feel quite uh, like quite as good because mm-hmm. Johnny goes from this to investigating the serial killer. And it doesn't yeah. like it doesn't quite gel in that in that progression. But like, I, I'm sure there's something more in the book that gives it to you. They're like, why Why does yeah. he now decide to help when he wasn't really into it when first pitched the idea? Yeah. I mean, I took it as like he he kind of came to the realization, even early on when they had their first kind of, you know, visit and stuff. He was like kind of holding on to the idea that things could potentially go back to what he remembered mm-hmm. and then this instance really it hit home for him it's like it's never going to be what i want it to be right and so he just kind of resigns himself to being uh almost like a circus act of like yeah i'm a vessel at this point right like i you know i'm just going to try to be of service in some way yeah and so they they investigate the serial killer and he has like another flashback in i think i like the scene at the gazebo where like he's desperate to see his face but also like he's like confused about it because he's like i was there i was there and it's like no you're not there you're having a thing you're <laughs> yeah he's like almost like trying to turn away kind of um you know and he like pulls her you know 
shirt open and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he, do, he he doesn't want to be a voyeur to the crime, but at the same time, he is. And I think yeah. it's also because like because he's touching a dead body that he can only see the past in this instance, even though he's seen the past before, like he can only see the past. And so he's just like exists, you know, with her at the same time of her murder. And, but yeah, it gets revealed that it's his, the, the Tom scared old deputy guy. <laughs> they yeah. go, Gotta go get him. I old deputy Dewey or whatever the fuck his name is. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's Dodd deputy Dodd. I just said Dewey because fucking scream. <laughs> right. <but> yeah. <laughs> well, because he is like a do. He's kind of a doofy. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you, you go back the second time around, you start to see a little bit of the breadcrumbs. But like upon first watch, like I said, uh, you know, I, I I I probably underestimated the movie a little bit, but I was just like, oh, it's, you know, oh, wait, it was the fucking doofy deputy that was just in the background the whole time. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. But like I, I love the scene in the house because it's, mm. I mean, it shot the most like a horror film, because there's mm. just like these these sick giallo green lights everywhere, you know, uh, and then the, the the house looks disgusting. Everything in the house is disgusting. You go in the killer's room, and it's like, uh, you know, because he, he's still living with his mother, but like, it's not even updated for an adult because he has like all the yeah. cowboys. You know, cowboys on horseback as wallpaper. It's a little kids room, yeah. yeah. And he has like a bunch of little kids stuff everywhere. And the killer fucking suicides himself by headbutting scissors. <laughs> <laughs> but like not even headbutting, like through his mouth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like through the roof of his mouth, kind of like uh, it's, rough. it's It's more deep throating scissors is what he goes for. <laughs> yeah. Which is the, the, the most f- like effective part of it is like the deliberate nature in which he goes through with Mm -hmm. it is like suggests that he mentally rehearsed this a lot right yeah like when i get caught or if i get caught here's what i'm gonna do so it was like him carrying out a plan that he had mentally rehearsed a lot yeah yeah this is the way out and that was yeah, and this is the like not like I'm gonna take my service revolver and shoot myself. Like I for some reason in my deranged fucking serial killer brain, this is how I have to go through with yeah. it. Yeah. I love the other thing I love in this scene though is Christopher Walken grabs the mother's hand and mm-hmm. just the way he delivers this line, it, it's like a little unhinged. Cause he's just like, Yeah, you know, didn't you? You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then she gets fucking, which, uh, the fucking actor, I, I've already forgot his name, but the, the, the sheriff just shoots her in the tummy, right in the oh, tummy. Oh, yeah, just gut shots her. Yeah, she, she, gra- just for- she grabs up her son's service revolver, shoots Johnny, and then Tom Scarrett yeah. pops out of the bedroom and fucking blasts, Tom Scarrett, yeah, yeah. blasts her right in the guts. <laughs> just gut shots her just like a fucking dog like jesus christ shoots the mom in the gut so just so brutal yeah it's so terrible but yeah again you know this is what throws you know johnny into those throws and then we start kind of the third story in the ending of we Mm -hmm. he gets approached by this really rich kind of uh i don't even know what he does he's just rich he's just white and rich that's his thing (laughs) yeah i mean 
yeah, I, I you almost take it like he's he's some sort. It's like some old money shit, you know, old white fucking, uh, you know, rich family in town. Yeah. Um, but it just quickly before that, he does. Uh, Johnny's doctor does give him a visit. And in that visit, there is a scene where he gets out of the car and they're erecting a Stilson billboard behind him. So it's just yeah. like another little breadcrumb. When he has the, he has the, I think it was earlier. Is it earlier when he has the conversation with the doctor about like, you know, if you could go back to before Hitler went to power or whatever? No, that's like the, that's the scene right before. That's, yeah. That's the scene before yeah, he shoots him. Yeah, yet. we're not there yet. Yeah, no, yeah. I think this scene is more along the lines of just like getting an update of where Johnny's life is because he's living in a new house. And then, yeah, 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 and then yeah, I yeah. think that also, explains like his headaches are eventually going to kill him but it's not as clear so i think that's Mm. what that's that's another hang-up i have is like it's just not never as clear that like his powers are actually going to lead to his death at some point no no it's not it it just feels like now you have a superpower and this is what you're going to live with because i think it is clearer in the book that he has a fucking tumor and he's going to die from the tumor, which is ultimately. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Good. And it, I think that ultimately lends to why it's more easy for him to take up arms against Stilson because he's kind of doomed anyway. Oh, that does actually make a lot more sense. Yeah. And I, it's just not as clear because you're like it, it because, well, and we're jumping way ahead, but the ending feels so, very convenient. Mm-hmm. That the fact that he survives, but then Stilson, even though he doesn't kill him, gets ruined. You know what I mean? Right. Like the whole thing, the fact that he took this enormous risk to say, you know, to rid the world of Stilson feels very convenient the way it plays out. But if we knew that he was, you know, doomed mm-hmm. via this prognosis, it would have made more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a lot more clear in the book that he has like a tumor and it's going to eventually kill him this there's only this little conversation like way before we're ever introduced to Stilson or anything so if there was just like Mm -hmm. in that scene that you were talking about where his doctor visits him and he's asking about you know does Hitler you know like would you kill Hitler if you if you had the chance like if there was more to that scene about like here's a fucking MRI You, you got fucking pudding brain Sorry about it, bud. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a little more to it, <laughs> but yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. But yeah, no, we get introduced to this kind of, you know, upper crust waspy guy and he just wants Johnny to be a tutor. And this is like, this is kind of the, the trail that leads Johnny to interacting with Stilson because he sees Stilson in this rich guy's home. And then they have like a conversation about him and like the rich guy's like, Mm, he's a bit of a fucking Vox Populi kind of guy. Like he's dangerous. Mm-hmm. He's like, why, why yeah. are you nice to him? And he's like, well, you gotta be nice to these guys or otherwise you know, they cut you out of the boat club or whatever. <laughs> right. But yeah, uh, he has another vision of like this guy's son drowning and he's like, Hey, don't take him to hockey practice. But, you know, he listens. He doesn't he doesn't let his son get drowned, but like two other kids drowned. <laughs> well, and this is my favorite scene in the movie when he's like, 
you know, he he he's 100% confident in his visions at this point. Right. So he's trying to tell him, like, my dude, don't take him to the hockey game. The ice is going to break. It's too thin, whatever. And, of course, the guy, like, he would be skeptical. Why, why would you ever believe, you know, somebody who has had these prophetic visions kind of thing? But then he takes, I think it's a fire poker, and he smashes the fucking vase. Mm-hmm. He's like, the ice yeah. is going to break. Yeah. <laughs> he just like, has this like, so over-the-top reaction, which in that instance, you would feel so frustrated and helpless that you're like, I need to make a big gesture. Right. You know what I mean? Right. To really get this across, even if it's at the risk of, completely alienating myself and like making an ass of myself and, and even being, you know, viewed as like a danger. Like as long as I get the message across, that's all that matters. Right. But it's just, it's Christopher Walken. So it's fucking, you know, yeah. he just, <laughs> just the way he sells it. The fuck out of yeah, it. Just yeah. the way he sells it is even more. Uh, yeah. So like, yeah, he has that, you know, total breakdown, but like, again, he's proven right. So Johnny is not, you know, uh, afraid of his visions. He knows what they're going to do, but it's after this yeah. that he finally interacts hand to hand with Stilson and he gets the vision of the world ending, you know, via nuclear war. Mm-hmm. And so he, you know, uh, he has this breakdown conversation with his doctor of like, what would you do? And he sees, mm-hmm. you know, he takes kind of one last look at his parents, picks up a gun and goes to the Stilson meeting and, the whole time like Sarah is also involved with this Stilson campaign. So she's there with her son. They're all on stage. Yeah. And when he goes to take Isn't aim, it like her husband's involved with the campaign mm-hmm. or some yeah, shit. Her, yeah. yeah. Her husband's yeah. out there like, uh, like doing flyer campaigns Campaign and or whatever. going to people's houses. Yeah. But yeah, when Johnny picks up the gun, he fucking goes to shoot him and fucking somebody calls out gun, giving Stilson just enough time to grab up the baby. <laughs> <laughs> such a wild thing to do it's so it's so crazy just like duck and cover run with the baby and you just know like you know what the end to that is is like a whole bunch of people have yeah. a picture of him holding a baby to cover from gunfire now. <laughs> it's just so like i get it that this is supposed to be like a, a really dramatic you know, interpretation of somebody who is just like an absolute scum of the earth. You know, we've already seen him in the visions. He is he is a fucking sociopath, you know, through and through. But to be like, there's a gun and go, Jesus Christ, give me a baby. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like all the things. A, <laughs> not like a, you know, a fucking uh, duck behind the podium. No, hold up a baby and, and run for it. <laughs> not like you're holding a baby and you like spin around in a way that like the baby is in danger you grab a baby from somebody and (laughs) block yourself with the baby yeah not the face hit the baby (laughs) (laughs) but yeah Uh, then you know johnny is shot out out of the balcony and falls and stilson grabs him up and like he gets one last vision of stilson killing himself with a, looking at the magazine cover of him holding the baby for yeah. the shield. So, you know, Johnny gets to die easy knowing that he did save the world, but also you get kind of one more heartbreaking scene between him and Sarah. 
just knowing that like yeah. this is the way things had to go and there couldn't there couldn't have been another way cuz yeah. Johnny had like Johnny didn't have anybody with vision powers to save him so yeah the the great thing about this is you as the viewer are you you trust Johnny at this point right cuz you're up to speed with Johnny mm-hmm. so but Everything that has come to fruition with Johnny, although it is extraordinary, extraordinarily unlikely, it seems that there is a very minute chance that Johnny's predictions were coincidence. Mm. So like the hockey, you know, hockey game and the kids fell through the ice like he guessed that. And then the guy didn't go and then the kid got saved, but then the guy didn't acknowledge him. You know what I mean? Right. So like there's a small chance in your brain that like you're on the same page with Johnny. So perhaps if you're seeing it from Johnny's perspective, this whole thing could have been kind of blown up to make his quote unquote, you know, potential delusions feel more real Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so whenever the assassination attempt comes into play as a viewer you're not 100 percent on johnny's side you're like 90 percent on johnny's side because you're like this seems like a thing a crazy person does yeah it's a thing that a crazy person does and assassinating assassinating politicians is a thing crazy people do. Right. And also, you've yeah. already, again, you've already had the interaction between him and the guy he works as a tutor for, mm-hmm. give, kind of feeding Johnny the idea that Stilson is a bad guy. Like, he's right. already fed him that idea. So you're like, 10% of you is like, wait, is Johnny actually crazy? So you're like, you know, you're 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 kind of on the fence, just even a ten percent. Yeah, I mean the only thing that sticks out because everything else is kind of like could have been coincidence. Is like the the fire could have been a good guess. Yeah the 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 hockey accident could have been a good guess, but it's knowing that the that Frank Dodd, the deputy, was the killer is yeah i mean it seems entirely unlikely that he's not you know doesn't have some sort of gift at this point but even like the first one you know with the uh uh not the killer not the um you just don't know if it's like is this happening in retrospect you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like is his brain warped to some degree where it's like he's then in retrospect talking himself into i knew all the time you know what i mean like it, it just you're not you're you're mostly the story has told us that he has this gift, but you're like he's kind of an unreliable narrator mm-hmm. still. So you're yeah he it's everything's pointing to he he's he's got the right idea, but it's not one hundred percent. Yeah, I think so. The other yeah. the other side of this is like because this film is you know like in the eighties. The the thing is, like, there's so little of, like, an information network. So, like, mm. I think if... 
I know there's been more recent remakes, but I haven't seen any of them. But like in the more recent remakes, I'm sure you can play with the idea of like being able to look things up on the internet, like having knowledge. Because like when he does at the press conference, he's talking to that one guy about his sister's suicide. That Mm -hmm. is like a direct cold reading type of John Edwards bullshit that can be dismissed. Sure. You know, <laughs> it's like something he could have just looked up on the internet that, hey, I know this guy has, you know, is going to be at the press conference. Oh, his sister committed suicide. I'll just say something about that and fuck with him. Yeah. So, like, you can do that kind of muddying of the water of like, mm. but like, it, with this version, it feels so hard to like pull off that uh, uh, unknowable knowledge type thing. Yeah. So, it's true. Yeah. I don't know. I like it. I like it. And again, it's just another character with the shining anyway. So <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's the you know, it's uh the shining or uh or, or you know the 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 dead light or you know whatever. Like I, I, I always find it interesting that like Stephen King is able to just like repackage things that are very established. I always probably fair to say tropes in genre film and repackage them as something like slightly more mystifying. <laughs> and everyone's like, Stephen King created this. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> nah, not really, no. but he just, he just, you know, he just does it better than yeah. most. Yeah, you know? No, we've had, we've had bum ass psychics forever. It's just, <laughs> he's, he made this one interesting with a, like a character. Yeah. I'm so glad all of these movies like came out, a long time ago and that they've been pre-established because I feel like if he had just started adapting movies now with this shining through line, you would have wound up with mm-hmm. like this Marvel cinematic cinematic ass universe and like Scatman oh, totally. Scatman Carruthers appears in all of them. <laughs> well, and that's just like a bit Scatman Carruthers. Yeah. Well, it's a, uh, well, not what's his name. It's not fucking Scatman Carruthers. It's a, uh, yeah, yeah it's it is. Scatman, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the interesting thing about, like, I mean, this just goes to show how much of a genius, even though maybe it wasn't predicted, and this is like a happy accident, how genius the whole, like, Dollar Baby thing ultimately ended up being to his brand, mm-hmm. you know, is he got everyone and their brother to make a, a movie based on his work. Right. And they're all so variable now, maybe if he wouldn't have done that, maybe he'd end up with a fucking Marvel Universe under his belt and a billion dollars. <laughs> but like, let's be honest, Stephen King ain't fucking no, hurting. You no, know I'm pretty mean? sure he has a billion he's, dollars he's, anyway. He, <laughs> he's been fucking wildly wealthy since the fucking mid 80s. Right. You know what I mean? So and no one's no one's hurting over there. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's I think it has helped to maintain his integrity as an as a influence for motion pictures because you get all these different people making a lot of variable pictures of of varying styles of varying qualities whatever mm-hmm. just because you know he didn't take the really shitty greedy direction right <laughs> and said like hey i'm gonna do this thing and like hey you could be cynical and say it was a great marketing move and it was but I, I mean, fuck, even even a, through the a, late 90s and early 2000s, when it was, you know, the, the, the miniseries was like the required mm-hmm. watching, 
Like you had to sit yeah. down and watch the latest Stephen King miniseries. That's what. Yeah. That's why Mike Flanagan just fucking apes off King so much. Like he loves adapting King movies. He loves making movies that are like King movies. But then also he does this House of Usher and the you know fall uh, the haunting at Hill House or whatever. And he's uh, like, these are my these yeah. are my miniseries. I get to be I'm Rose Red now. Fuck you. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. Let's let's do some authors that are dead and nobody will remember. Yeah, too, you know yeah I can mean? steal these. Nobody um, reads this shit. This is mine. <laughs> but he did a good job. He did yep. a good job. All right. Any other final thoughts on uh, oh. on these here flickies? No, I like I said, you know, like it, I just like the uh, I like the determinism. Like there's there's I like how quick the dead zone moves. And I just like how mm. fun the mist can be, even though it becomes the most brutal thing you've ever seen. It's the, the, <laughs> they, they, all of these films are exercises in balance. And I think they yeah. all do balance pretty well. But like, yeah, these, these are my favoritizes ones. And yours are your favoritizes yeah. ones. <laughs> yeah. I, like I said, I think all four of these are bangers. I mean, listen, no, uh, no secret. If you listen to the last episode, I wanted to do the dead zone, although I am happy ultimately that, uh, because I, I do think there's some, there's more disjointed nature to the dead zone from a novel adaptation standpoint than there is even to like Gerald's game. Neither of them are perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do like that one a lot. And um, yeah, I mean, these are four fucking movies that I, I, I've watched multiple times and I will watch multiple times more. Um, these are all these are all great fucking flicks. And like, um, yeah, we'll see what's uh, we'll see what the listeners have to say uh, when we put them out on the social medias to vote. So if you don't already the people who are listening right now are the really the folks who we want to hear what they have to say in terms of uh, Steve's um, tag team, if you will, of uh, uh, the mist and the dead zone and uh, and my tag team of Pet Cemetery and Gerald's game. If you don't already go over to the old social medias, Instagram specifically at uh, Halloween is forever or at Hallow Forever on Twitter slash X and, and go vote and tell us which one of these sons of bitch and tag teams you like best. And ultimately what you're going to help determine is who is going to pick the punishment episode for next time around. Uh, Steve already hinted at what his is going to be. Um, I've got a couple of fucking tricks on my <laughs> sleeves over here as well. Um, yeah. So go check it out and, and tell us what you think. And, and, uh, and uh, and and vote and vote on the old polls over there. Uh, anything else? Anything else I should uh, mention here, Steve? Uh, if you sign before we wrap this up, if you up? sign up on the Patreon this week, you'll get an extra vote. That's a thing. Mm. Don't ever don't don't oh, ever yeah, forget yeah. that. You can always have an extra vote to add to the pool. You you can have an extra vote. You can also hear us talk about Fast and the Furious Part Seven. Yeah, boy. Uh, which came out last week, and then uh, here in the coming weeks we'll be doing Fast. Uh, what did you say it's called? Fast Fate Eight? of the Furious. Fate, of, Fate the Furious. of the Furious. Jesus fucking Christ! 
there's no way that that movie is an absolute dog shit, you guys. Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Go ahead and follow us over there. Check us out on the patreon.com forward slash Halloween's forever. As always. Um, all right. I think that's all we have here. I got a, about a half a beer to finish. Uh, and then I'm going to bed, guys. Uh, thank you for for joining us for another showdown episode. And if you have any suggestions as far as those uh, 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 minisodes as well, we're always looking for those. If you got a new movie coming out that you're like, hey, wish them boys would talk about, check out over on the streaming services or wherever the hell it is, shoot us a DM. We, we always appreciate that as well. Oh, yeah. Steve, any final thoughts? Well, we got one last from the patrons. Uh, Ron says Killer Clowns win. I am here for it. Any listen, I got my fucking blaster up here, my killer clowns bl- blaster. I'm down for for killer clowns. Are we talking specifically killer clowns from outer space? Or are we talking about just the topic of killer clown movies? Uh, I think it's both. I will talk killer clowns all day, every day. Um, but also we'll talk uh, just killer clowns without the K's. Yeah. Killer with a K, clowns with a C. And listen, we'll talk about Clown NATO if you guys want to. <laughs> I will we'll get into that son of a bitch. I have sat by myself, very stoned, in a Holiday Inn Express and watched Clown NATO. <laughs> That's where I'm at in my life. Here's the thing. If you can get Patreon subscribers in the month of February, we will yeah. just make March uh, Clown Madness. <laughs> Clown and we'll do, we'll do like a clown that. showdown in March if you get some more Patreon subscribers. <laughs> I am down for that 100%. I'm like I'm the I'm a fucking clown fiend, guys. So I I will be all over that. All right, I got to pee like a racehorse, guys. This has been a, a fantastic showdown episode for the Halloween's Forever crew. I'm Brian and I'm Steve in King. All right. <laughs> you should- Okay. All right. See you around. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.